Um, as we uh, prepare uh, to turn to Scripture this day, um, I um, am excited for us to begin this new um, sermon series together um, that's going to take us through the book of Judges. And as um, we prepare for that, uh, I just want uh, to orient us a little bit um, to where we're stepping in uh, to the history of the people of Israel um, as we step in uh, to this book um, in our scriptures. If you remember uh, that history, uh, the people of Israel were led out of slavery in Egypt by Moses, um, but then they spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness as they struggle to trust God and God's provision, and so are given the opportunity to learn do, to do just that by decades of dependence on God's provision and guidance in the wilds. Moses' own part of that struggle keeps him from being the one who will lead Israel into the land that God promised them at the end of those wilderness years. Instead, it is Joshua, a leader in the next generation of the people who is raised up for that task. It's at the end of Joshua's life that we come to this time of the judges in Israel, a time when the Israelite people's struggle to be faithful continues as they settle into a new land with new neighbors all around. As we uh, turn to our scripture from the beginning of Judges, uh, first uh, let us turn to God in prayer together. Holy God, um, what a gift it is. What a gift it is um, in tumultuous times uh, to come together um, in community, uh, to be present to one another, uh, but most importantly, Lord, to be present to you and to your word. Uh, Lord, help us uh, to hear you today, um, to hear uh, the word you have to speak uh, through uh, scripture to us, a word that is meant for this day, for the here and now. Open us to it, O oh Lord. Um, send your spirit to move through it. God, as we are all longing to be faithful people as we live out these days, um, it is only by following you uh, that we will be led to faithfulness. Um, so God, guide us, lead us by the power of your spirit, um, by the power of your word. It's in your name uh, that we ask these things. Amen. Now let us listen to God's word for us together as it comes to us um, from the book of Judges, uh, selections from chapter 2 and chapter 3. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I had promised to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. For your part, do not make a covenant with the inhabitants of this land. Tear down their altars. But you have not obeyed my command. See what you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become adversaries to you, and their gods shall be a snare to you. When the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the Israelites, the people lifted up their voices and wept. So they named that place Bochim, and there they sacrificed to the Lord. 
Then the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the power of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen even to their judges, for they lusted after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their ancestors had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord. They did not follow their example. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he delivered them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord would be moved to pity by their groaning because of those who persecuted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they would relapse and behave worse than their ancestors, following other gods, worshiping them, and bowing down to them. They would not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he said, Because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their ancestors and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died. In order to test Israel whether or not they would take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their ancestors did, the Lord had left those nations, not driving them out at once, and had not handed them over to Joshua. Now these are the nations that the Lord left to test all those in Israel who had no experience of any war in Canaan. It was only that successive generations of Israelites might know war to teach those who had had no experience of it before. The five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites who lived on Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal-Harmon as far as Labo-Hamath. They were for the testing of Israel to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their ancestors by Moses. So the Israelites lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters as wives for themselves, and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they worshipped their gods. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So this past week, church historian Kate Bowler shared this picture, a snapshot a good friend had taken of what he found written in the journal he had bought his seven-year-old son when he was cleaning up his room. Where is God? Why is there so much evil? She reflected on the image with these words. These are the unvarnished questions of those whose soft hearts ask for the terrible truth. God, we want this world to reflect your kingdom come, but instead there is terror and injustice and despair. Why does this happen? How can we be so broken? An Israelite living in the time of the judges just might have found the same message scrawled in Hebrew across the soft hearts of their own children. For they too lived in a time when evil was prevalent and they would have felt the absence of their God. As the book of Judges begins, it speaks to this reality. We see a God who is willing to let the Israelites suffer the natural consequences of their actions. A God who is willing to go hands-off when the people turn their backs on their covenant promises, on the relationship God has offered them, when they disobey God's commands, when they turn to worship other gods. 
And as we continue in the book of Judges, as we continue living life each day in the here and now, we watch what happens when human beings are left to their own devices. There is evil, there is terror, there is injustice, there is despair. As part of his translation of scripture, the message, Eugene Peterson wrote an introduction to each book of the Bible. His words about the book of Judges, this piece of our scriptures and this time in Israel's history, are a helpful guide as we begin our journey with this book and as we continue on the journey of our lives in these days. He writes, Sex and violence, rape and massacre, brutality and deceit do not seem to be congenial materials for use in developing a story of salvation. Given the Bible's subject matter, God and salvation, living well and loving deeply, we quite naturally expect to find in its pages leaders for us who are good, noble, honorable, men and women showing us the way. So it's always something of a shock to enter the pages of the book of Judges and find ourselves immersed in nearly unrelieved mayhem. It might not gravel our sensibilities so much if these flawed and reprobate leaders were held up as negative moral examples with lurid hellfire descriptions of the punishing consequences of living such bad lives. But the story is not told quite that way. There is a kind of matter-of-fact indifference in the tone of the narration, almost as if God is saying, well, if this is all you're going to give me to work with, I'll use these men and women just as they are and get on with working out the story of salvation. These people are even given a measure of dignity as they find their place in the story. They are most certainly not employed for the sake of vilification or lampoon. God, it turns out, does not require good people in order to do good work. He can and does work with us in whatever moral and spiritual condition he finds us. God, we are learning, does some of his best work using the most unlikely people. If God found a way to significantly include these leaders, judges, and what we know is on its way to become a glorious conclusion, he can certainly use us along with our sometime impossible friends and neighbors. Twice in Judges, Peterson goes on to say, there is a telling refrain. At that time, there was not a king in Israel. People did whatever they felt like doing. But we readers know that there was a king in Israel. God was king. And so, while the lack of an earthly king accounts for the moral and political anarchy, the presence of the sovereign God, however obscurely realized, means that the reality of the kingdom is never in doubt. There were once again, um, on the landscape of our lives, um, the landscape of history, the landscape of this year, plenty of signs of moral and political anarchy, as well as disturbing images coming out of the protests that turned into something different altogether when our nation's capital was forcibly breached this past Wednesday. While many in the crowd simply carried flags in support of President Trump, there were also extremists who wore or carried signs and symbols tied to white supremacy and nationalism 
as well as the threat of violent rebellion and insurrection. I'm imagining that the scene as it was unfolding was as unsettling for you as it was for me. As I said to you in my message yesterday, I feel like I'm still processing my emotions and thoughts about what we all witnessed that day. As I have done that, the image that has stuck with me the most from that day was this large yellow sign with spray-painted black letters that just happened to be central in the shot of the live news coverage I was watching as this all unfolded that had this message scrawled across it. Jesus saves. That sign's presence is evidence of the ways we as humans so easily co-opt Jesus and pervert the gospel to prop up our own agendas, which serves to deeply damage Christ's witness in the world. Yet for me personally, that image has stayed with me. God has used it to speak to me in these days of confronting the reality of us as we are and wrestling with where we go from here. On a day that revealed the depths of our brokenness, the size of the mess we have made of things, the fruits of all the seeds of division and discord that have been sown in us for much longer than any one president's term in office, that message Jesus saves, spoke so loudly to me. In the book of Judges, we hear this refrain. At that time, there was not a king in Israel, so the people did whatever they felt like doing. In Judges, we witness a God who allows us to suffer the consequences that come when we are left to our own devices, when we do whatever we feel like doing. There is evil there is terror, there is injustice, there is despair. Yet it is that same God that even then was working out the story of salvation. It is that God who would choose to not leave us alone, but instead to come to us, to live with us, to through Jesus make it so clear to us what life lived faithfully is meant to look like. And knowing that even on our best days, we would fall short of that, Christ also came to show us the depths and the power of God's love for us. That it was a love that could save us. Could save us from the evil, from the terror, from the injustice, from the despair we inflict upon each other. And y'all, on this day, I am convinced more than ever that the love of God we have come to know in Jesus Christ our Lord is the only thing that can save us. The only thing that can save us from ourselves. Which means we have important work to do. Just in case you are under the false illusion that the promise that Jesus saves somehow gets you and I off the hook, that we can just sit at home waiting for that day when Christ returns? Dear ones, that is not the case. We have important work to do. As I read Peterson's imagined words of God, as God looked out upon the people in the time of the judges, well, if this is all you're going to give me to work with, I'll use these men and women just as they are 
and get on with working out the story of salvation. I found myself feeling some hope and some motivation. The hope is that God can and will use even us and our sometimes impossible friends and neighbors. The motivation is that I want to give God more to work with. I don't want to stay just as I am today. I want to set my eyes on Jesus. I want to confront the truth of who I am, the truth of who we are as a church, a community, a nation, and be honest with myself about it all. Confess my sin, our sin, over and over again until the mercy of the Lord does its work in me, in us. I want to do the hard work that will give our God something more to work with. I want to be part of God's work of salvation in the here and now, not an obstacle to it. I want us to be part of God's work of salvation in the here and now. For Sunday school this morning, we read a chapter out of the book Uncommon Ground, written by John Inazu, who speaks in it of his identity as a half-white, half-Japanese American man and what it is like to try to serve as a translator across the different cultures he embodies. I believe Inazu would consider himself an evangelical Christian, but he has deep struggles with white evangelicalism and the ways that racism and white supremacy continue to function within it. He names that in order for change to occur, for healing and reconciliation to come, it means seeking understanding, even for the people in context that most escape our empathy. He says, in the case of my dissonance with the world of white evangelicalism, Part of seeking understanding means reminding myself that some arguments will not be won through sound bites on social media. Some arguments will take months and years of listening and explaining. Change, if it comes, often depends on relationships of trust that are built over time. Sometimes the relationships that lead to change will take a lifetime. He names that when we demonize the other side, we cut off all possibility of relationship or better understanding of the other's perspective, both of which can lead to growth and to change. Y'all, God is calling us to do this crazy and seemingly impossible thing. To be a church made up of radical liberals and staunch conservatives and everyone in between and actually talk about the hard stuff. Whether it be our politics, big systemic issues like racism, or the nitty gritty details of how we live our personal lives. And to choose in the midst of it to love each other to build relationships of mutual respect and trust, expecting to learn and grow and change because of the ways the Spirit of God will move through them. God is calling us to create space in our community, in our neighborhood, for more people to be invited into relationships like that. 
relationships that are lived up close and personal, relationships that are lived in the flesh, relationships with people who are different, relationships that are grounded in the love of Christ, which makes them relationships that have the capacity to save us, to save us from ourselves. I'm going to be real transparent with you here. When it comes to the call upon our congregation, I understand the why of this. As we look out upon our world, we see the mess that comes when we are left to our own devices. We see the evil, the terror, the injustice, the despair. I understand the why. And I've got a pretty good handle on the what. It is the love of Jesus lived out in deep relationship across our divides. What is still murky for me is the how. How do we actually do this really hard and important work that is only getting harder by the day? Here is where we start. Michael Jenkins taught a class at my seminary on pastoral leadership. And on the very first day, the very first words that came out of his mouth were these. You have to love your people just as they are, not as you imagine or wish they could be. If you cannot love your people just as they are, then you have absolutely no business being their pastor. But if you do, if you love them just as they are, then you can begin the journey of discovering who you together might become, who God has created you and them both to be. Those words are some of the most significant ones spoken to me. And I do not believe that they are for pastors alone. I think they are true of everyone in Christian community. The beginning of the how of this important work is that we love each other just as we are. And it's from here, that place of deep and abiding and real and authentic love, that we engage the journey of together becoming who God has created us to be. Y'all, I love you. I love you if you are a radical liberal. I love you if you are a staunch conservative. I love you if you are someone somewhere in between. I love you. I value you. I want to learn and grow with you. God has important work for us to do. I am convinced God has been preparing us for this work. I am convinced this work is meant to be part of working out salvation's story today. I love you just as you are. I hope you can love me just as I am. Somehow, y'all, that love, that love of Christ, somehow that love will save us. That love will manage to save us from ourselves. Amen.